Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Imagine you're at an exclusive party. Across the crowded room, you spot the most stunning man. You spit-take your champagne. He keeps approaching, and then he says, Your red light therapy session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. New red light therapy now available featuring Australian gold. Hot guy not included. Getting together to talk about all the things we used to do. The laughs, the passions, the little Sebastians, the pets we fell into. And we're putting it all in a podcast. Then we'll send it up into the sky. We're calling it Parks and Recollection. Come on, little podcast, spread your wings and fly. Hey, everybody, welcome to Parks and Recollection. We are wrapping up season one with one of my favorite episodes, Alan Yang. Great season. Thank you for, for all you do. It's been so fun, and we're going out with a bang with this one. Yeah, big episode. This is a this is a this is a blast. Episode sixteen of season three. This is this is a, this is a real one, man. And, yeah. and it's also a supersized cut. Supersized cut on Peacock. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. Check out Peacock. Subscribe. <laughs> Do we get a cut of that, Rob? Do we? I, <laughs> Do we... I'm gonna call my lawyers immediately. Yeah, I just I just met with Susan Rodner, who runs Peacock. I should get uh, five cents for saying that <laughs> for, for saying that it's on Peacock. Um, but no, it's a huge episode. Huge episode. Little Sebastian, I mean, say no more. Yes. Shall we get right into Let's it? Do details, it. talking, yeah. talking, talking. Yeah. All right. Episode details. The title, Little Sebastian, written by Daniel J. Gore. Yes. Directed by Dean Holland. Yes. Two two heavy hitters. Two yeah. previous guests of this show. Yep. Two heavy hitters. They they did a lot on the show. And hard hard to say who did more than them other than the showrunners and the actors. Right. Original air date, May nineteenth, two thousand eleven. The blurb, Leslie and the team put together a memorial service for Lil Sebastian. Tom makes a big life decision, and Chris reacts badly to a health problem. Mm. I love Tom makes a big life decision. That's reminiscent of, do you remember the Mad Men blurbs that they would do? Like when you look at TV Guide, it's like, <laughs> it, it's literally like, yes. like the least informed. Don, Don lives a day. Like it's literally yes, like, like Don opens a letter. It's D- like, wait, what? Right. Like what happens to this? Just Matt Weiner, the showrunner, just, just totally not giving them anything. Just very funny. But, I, yeah. I, I do wonder how those things go. If it is the showrunner, like, or is it just some drone at a at a at a you know a company that's it's it's falls to them? It's like yes, it's I, so I th- boring. I think it depends. But I, like we were just discussing uh, my new Apple show, Luke. We they asked us for the episode synopses. 
So we wrote those, me and Matt Hubbard, our, my co-creator, and or he wrote most of them, actually. Shout out to Matt. Um, but uh, I think you can leave it to someone else, but I think we got scared that they'd be yes. bad. So so we wrote our own, and I think that's probably what Matt Weiner did, too, because he's, he's probably a control freak. He's probably like, you know, that's why that show's good. But uh, yeah, I, it, it's you don't want to give anything away. Why would you Why would you say what happens in the episode? I mean, just to tease it, maybe. Just yeah. to tease it. Well, there's a whole there's a whole new philosophy of people out there that think that actually giving it away, if it if it's titillating enough, it gets them into the tent, and that people will sacrifice story surprise for for eyeballs. That's- I read a study. I'm not joking. This is going to kill every you know director showrunner out there. But I read a study that said. It, the more people know about a movie, the more spoilers they have, the more they enjoy it, which seems c- totally counterintuitive. But I, but I, that's what the science says. I don't know if I agree with that. I but. agree with it. Having, I mean, I, I mean, having spent the last thirty years watching television with my wife, I know there are people who are like, "Is he going to kill her?" I'm like, <laughs> well, that's what this movie's about. We're gonna, we're gonna find that out. But we find out at the end of the movie. Yeah. I'm like, what? What? Why would you want to just know that now? Asking questions. That's, that's my mom, too. My mom will just say, like, he's about to kill her. It's like, or whatever. He's just narrating the whole thing. Just the whole. It's like a, you know what it is? It's a live rewatch podcast as you're watching it. Yes. It's, it's just, a, it's like having us narrate it while you're, while you're watching the episode. Hey, maybe that's another idea. But, uh, it, yeah. So that's why that you always fight it in a trailer. Like, mm-hmm. when you're cutting a trailer, you're always like, I don't want to give away everything. But the trailer people will usually tell you, like, you have to give away some stuff. And that's, that's what draws people in. Yep. So little trailer. All right, let's get into the Nope's Notes. The episode on Peacock that most everyone watches now is actually the producer's cut with six additional minutes of material that weren't part of the original version on NBC. I actually noticed that while watching. I actually it felt like there was some stuff. I wasn't sure which stuff was new, but but because I don't have a photographic memory of what we cut, but um, it, I did feel like new stuff. This episode introduces Mouse Rat's iconic song, 5,000 Candles in the Wind. Yes. This quickly became the unofficial album of the show, song, anthem, whatever. Mouse Rat would perform it at each year's rap party, along with Nick Offerman on saxophone. I Do you remember the bass this- lick to it? Absolutely, I could play. I could play most of the. I could play most of the songs. I'd have to figure out the key. I think it's probably in G or D, which is like all Mouse Rat songs are either in G or D. Just a, always a one four five progression. But uh, I have this photo of of Nick from I believe probably this year's rap party. Either either season three or four, and he has a saxophone. He's sitting on a pool table and he's wearing a sleeveless shirt. He has a sleeveless shirt and a hat on, and it's it's delightful. But yeah, we Mouse Rat would play at the end of every year. Uh, we had a rap party, and we would play all the songs from that year, and we'd always play 5,000 Candles of the Wind. Really can you, fun. Can you beatbox the bass line for me right now, 5,000 Candles of the Wind? Here's the secret uh, of the Mouse Rat bass lines. I just played the root notes and just played quarter notes. I mean, <laughs> there's almost no, there's yeah. almost no fancy. Like the <laughs> one song that Mark Rivers didn't write, I think it was Two Birds Holding Hands, um, there was a bass line. I was like, what is this? <laughs> no, there, actually, you know what? I actually will say this. 5,000 Candles of the Wind, it does do 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 Like there's that yeah. part. There goes, like it does do that. Yeah. I will say playing it live, didn't always do that. Not a very good bass player. So just barely getting by. So I'm very much into isolated bass. I got, I don't have too much time on my hands. I wouldn't say that because I'm super busy, but what I'm doing with the time on my hands could be debated by people because my new thing is isolated bass lines to pop 
yacht rock songs. Like I'm oh, very, wow. mu- I'm very much into YouTube, the isolated baseline for um, Dancing Queen. Oh, really? Are they just batshit? Is it They're like insane, dude? Oh, really? They're insane. Is, is... I, there's something really interesting about that. My, my version of that is, you know, I played in a punk rock band, so it's really easy. Like my real band before Mouse Rap, real band, not really a real band, but a band, an actual physical band. Um, very simple bass lines because punk rock band. But there's a there's a band called Rancid, yeah, and sure. they have a bassist named Matt Freeman, who plays crazy bass lines. So if you if you listen to those isolated bass lines, it's like it's insane, and like no band, no punk rock band does that. So I I, I agree, it's. Um, they're, they're difficult. Bassist never gets any love. Bass is just like, like usually the chill guy. Right? Yeah. He's not crazy like the drummer, doesn't need attention like the lead singer, not a ham like the, the, the lead guitarist. Bass is just kind of chill. Keanu Reeves, bassist of Dogstar. You know, that's, but, that's the vibe. But, uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah. That, you know, that's the exception, right? He's, he's something. Uh, he's something. His he just ba- played SoFi. He just played SoFi. I saw that. The bass on, um, Silly Love Songs. One of my favorite bass lines. Yeah. Playing that Hoffner. Playing that Hoffner lefty. Yeah. Um, all right. This episode features guest appearances from Megan Wally as Tammy, Ben Schwartz as John Raphael, and Detlef Schrempf as himself. Recurring character in the show. Producer Greg. Greg Levine is in a scene that was shot for this episode specifically for NBC.com. It's an advertisement for Entertainment 720, and he thanks Tom and John Raphael for makes, making him millions of dollars. Is that still available, Greg? Can we watch that somewhere? <laughs> Is that on NBC.com? Does NBC.com exist? <laughs> <laughs> it's now PeacockNBC.com slash org. Um, no, uh, I think it exists on some random sites uh, that have like daily motion or whatever that have clips. But um, I still get a like a nice, you know, 10 cent or 30 cent check every few months. Thank you for my part. Enjoy a stamp. Buy a stamp with that every every three months. Free, free. The full-length Mouse Rat album Andy sells to Kyle is called The Awesome Album. Not to be confused with Chris Pratt's character Star-Lord's mixtape in Guardians of the Galaxy called Awesome Mix Volume 1. I guess we know what he likes. <laughs> he has the same He has the same taste across genres and across works yeah. of fiction. In some scenes earlier in the episode, I found this very noticeable. Nick's mustache looks fake. These scenes were shot after he shaved it off for the fireball stunt. So we'll get to that. But uh, take take note as you watch the episode. When Andy and April are trying to write the song for Lil Sebastian, Andy sings Champion Champion. In season four, episode 16, Sweet 16, Andy is looking for his dog Champion and sings the same line to the same tune while calling for him. We'll get to Champion. I you know I love I love Champion. Yeah. Champion was was somewhat based on a dog that lived in, in my house named Fenway, who was a three legged dog. We'll get to that though. That's future episodes. Look forward to that. And the great Biff Jaeger makes another appearance as George, checking in on the Jaeger bubble, his Star Trek trading card. Now going for four hundred ninety nine dollars on eBay. Shout out to you, Biff Jaeger. <laughs> Making some money for people. All right, let's get into the synopsis synopsis here we go leslie announces little sebastian Pawnee's beloved celebrity mini horse has died and the parks department will hold a memorial service for him tom suggests they hire entertainment 720 for the event a production company recently started by his friend john ralphio john ralphio encourages tom to come work with him at the company but tom isn't sure if he wants to leave his city hall job meanwhile the extremely health conscious chris finds out he has tendonitis in his shoulder <laughs> and takes the news so seriously that he questions his own mortality. I, I love that scene. Leslie and Ben continue their romance despite a no-dating policy at City Hall, but they have difficulty keeping it a secret. Ron finds out and warns them that Chris will fire them if he learns about it. 
Um, just a little bit of story background here. We we definitely we we talked about this being a funeral for a person. Mm. We talked about a human being dying. We talked about Mayor Gunderson dying. We we later we talked about Councilman Dexhart dying. Um, we talked about you know I, I think it just there was something about there's a history of 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 sort of funerals and death in comedies. Ironically, right there's the Chuckles the Clown episode of, yep. of what was that the Mary Tyler Moore show, um, and and I think Mike had sort of this memory. You know, he, he had the in, not institutional memory, but just memory of these shows. There was something about that. Ultimately, we felt like tonally for this show. It was just a little too sad to have a person die. So we're like, what about Lil Sebastian? I think it was the lightning bolt in the room. It sort of struck everyone that this was the right balance and everyone could be really sad, but they would be comedically sad. So I think that's why uh, the Red Room settled on, on Lil Sebastian uh, being the person who died, not the person, the, the entity that died. I would argue that it's sadder that Lil yes, Sebastian died. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's that scene where, not to cut ahead, but you are... Chris Traeger is crying fanatically at the at the uh, at the service, and and we rack to Anne watching him, just being appalled at how how much he's sobbing. But yeah, he's the one character that both Ron Swanson and Chris Traeger will just cry uh, uh, dramatically uh, at, at at their demise. So um, it was really really funny. Um, we talk. There's a question here in the in the in the notes. Uh, were there ever any other ideas for other animals? Um, we talked about in the previous episode, uh, Harvest Festival, where um, we had all talked about Einstein, the world's smallest horse, and I still have that email chain uh, about Einstein. Um, I think it was probably discussed at some point. Greg, do you remember if we ever discussed it being another kind of animal? I think it was always a little horse. It was always a miniature horse, and it was always, we always enjoyed that. You couldn't call it a pony. It's like that's not a pony. It's a miniature horse. It's very different. It's a miniature. Po- it's a miniature horse. Um, so it was never. Yeah, it was never a chameleon or a lizard or anything like that. We um, the idea of little Sebastian came from the idea that there were these small town mascots and little heroes that are animals like a Punxsutawney Phil, right? But once I think we nailed that it was a little Sebastian, it was kind of clear once you found the article that that's who it would be. Yes, yes, I remember. And let's not uh, forget the scene where Chris has slight tendonitis in his shoulder <laughs> and immediately is uh, fears death. <laughs> and immediately, I mean, that comes up later. Like we we, we haven't gotten to the Richard Nygaard stuff, but he he has a he has some some you know some hang ups about his physicality, which makes sense. But I I wonder if Tom Brady's like this. It's like just if he's neurotic about you know anyone who takes care of their body that much. At some point, this actor, Cooper Thornton, who plays Dr. Harris, I don't know if you remember acting with him. He's very funny, but he's yeah. like, you know, to get what's the solution for this? Get in a time machine and, and go back to when you're 20. But I like at this point that, you, you know, he you're 40-something in this. And, and uh, you know, it's it's like, I don't know. It, you feel your mortality. Do you remember acting in this scene? The um, Well, yeah, it was, it was a great moment where you, you guys, the writing staff, found a whole other um, – theme for Chris to play. And we, as you said, it led to eventually to Dr. Richard Nygaard, um, the sort of existential fear of mortality and death that was so, you would think at first blush is, is, is counter to the eternal optimist, positive Chris Traeger. And, and, and now you realize that that it actually is informing why he's so positive because if he's not positive, he's in a dark, deep pit of despair, and yeah. um, and that was a super funny, cool idea. And we got a, we made we made a meal out of it in ensuing episodes. 
Yes, it's a razor's edge. And I thought it was like, it was organic to the character. It didn't seem unearned, but it was a way to broaden, right? It was a way to like, yeah. you know, you, you, you know, play something else. You, you, you've played upbeat, positive sunshine, pointing at people, knowing <laughs> everyone's names. We get that. But this other side of Chris was, is, was also very funny because, you know, also I feel like we haven't seen you play that. We haven't seen Rob, you know, we yeah. haven't seen Rob Lowe play that that much either. So that was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, very dry. You know, I love that scene between the two of you guys. Um, and also, uh, a, a, a big hit of Ben Schwartz in this episode. Yes. John, John Ralph, you got run over by Alexis is very, uh, you know, very, <laughs> Like happens thirty seconds into the episode, and it's like, how did he earn the money? Oh, he got hit by a car, and he got a settlement. So that's the the genesis of Entertainment Seven Twenty is is essentially, you know, uh, suing somebody <laughs> or getting, you know, getting hit by a car. It's like a classic uh, scammer scammer, uh, better call Saul type incident. Um, but yeah, that's uh, it. It kicks off that story, and it, you know, it feels like a natural progression for Tom and John Ralphio. We, we we talked a lot in the writers' room about characters not remaining static you know this was not the kind of show that it was going to reset every episode we wanted slow but gradual and um and 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 earned character progression and and one of the ideas was that tom was kind of entrepreneurial and eventually would find the business that was right for him um and which which did not involve him working at city hall which you know is difficult in the show but but this was the first of many ideas and businesses that he would run um, but yeah, I also I wanted to point out that when uh, Ron, they, the flag's at half mast and Ron is a talking head and he's like, at first when I saw the uh, flag at half mast, I was delighted. I thought another bureaucrat ate it. So he's just <laughs> happy that someone died. I mean, it's a pretty harsh joke. Like that's like set up for the joke. He's just he's just a bullion and joyful and, and sort of reveling in someone being dead. <laughs> and then he then the turn is like, then it's like, you know, that half mass is too high. A little for little Sebastian, show some damn respect and put it at the bottom, basically. But I was like, boy, the the first half of that talking head is rough. <laughs> He's reveling in a man's death. I uh, my one of my favorite bits in this episode is the custodian. Yes, interrupting the the moment of silence. It's such that that's like to me that's the <laughs> sweet spot of my what I think is funny. That is a. Su- and the music is great. Everything about it is great. But there's a whole story behind it, right? There is. I, watching it makes me laugh for a million reasons. It's funny on its own, even if you don't know any of the backstory. But to let people in on what the origin of this was. Sometimes at Parks and Recreation, not often, but sometimes the writers would stay late. And when the writers stay late, just imagine this kind of like open room with a bunch of couches. That's where we all sit. There's 10 people, 12 people, whatever. And we sit there all day we eat lunch there we have snacks we're just pitching ideas we're there at 10 in the morning whatever throughout the whole day and you're just sitting in that same room and it you know the air gets stale people are walking around sometimes but you're just in that room so imagine you're there at 10 a.m 5 p.m rolls around 7 p.m rolls around 9 p.m rolls around 11 maybe 11 p.m rolls around it starts getting late people start getting punchy there's just you know, you've just been in that room for a while. Now imagine you're you're stuck on a story idea. You're just you can't crack it. You've been there for 13, 14 hours, whatever. You're sitting around staring at the same eleven faces. You're sitting in there, and then a custodian walks into the room. You've hit a silent patch. No one's saying anything. It's awkward. Mike's not saying anything. Dan's not saying anything. Aisha's not saying anything. Harris isn't saying anything. We're just sitting there. A custodian comes in to take out the trash. It's so late. That's how we know it's late, right? Someone comes in af- after hours. He is listening 
to what it is like a speaker on his belt and and blasting music and the song he is blasting is Shania Twain's "Man, I Feel Like a Woman." It's amazing. <laughs> it's you. So you could wait. I'll never forget looking around the room. Every like we didn't want to laugh at this guy because it's like why? But but I'll never forget Emily Spivey. Emily Spivey was a delightful writer. Wrote for SNL. Works on you know wrote Wine Country with Amy and just could not couldn't contain herself greg levine was there i remember he had to leave the everyone was laughing and like greg had to leave the room it it was this moment that just you know just cut through everything and was just we'll never forget it was really funny he went in everyone's office just blasting this song taking out the trash and eventually left but boy when he left the room just erupted and it's just this bonding moment it's just so funny and so we did it's so triumphant it's like 11 30 or midnight or whatever and you're just hearing that song everyone knows it's shania twain massive superstar but um boy it's so funny i just remember people's faces and 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 yeah and then you know hopefully figure and we put it in the show we just we just essentially shot it exactly like that and i'm sure on set dan conveyed it exactly to to dean and it works it works as a thing even if you don't know the backstory so i'm glad you enjoyed that scene late nights really produced uh, two really great moments from this season. This one and the calzones. That was another very yes. late. Oh, the, night. oh my god! And someone pitched calzones, and an hour, an hour at, later, at 11 there were PM. thirty calzone jokes. And it's just <laughs> <laughs> late night <laughs> delirious. That's just that I'll never. It's just so. It's just so silly. I mean, there's a reason. There might be a reason why. You know, on SNL, legendarily, they they stay up all night, one night, and, and write stuff. You get yeah. silly, you know. You get you get kind of silly. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest five G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the five G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shims that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. Boy, there's a lot to talk about this in this episode. We're going to say like, this is uh, worth worth mentioning. At 320, if you pause it, you can see the Entertainment 720 business plan that Tom has written up. Entertainment 720 will do everything, and that includes meal planning, child star training, prom planning, actor and singer booking, open-air acrobatic choreography, trust fund ad- advisement, livestock training, and counseling. I don't know who wrote this stuff, <laughs> but Greg, did you write that stuff, or did Props Department write that? I don't know. I think that might have been a Props Department thing, but it's just the ridiculousness of... We'll do everything. And I think if I remember correctly, there was a version where it says, we will learn how to do those things for you. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, we, we, we don't yet know how to do it. Just a tiny additional joke. Um, and then one last thing before we move on with the synopsis. Um, 
Ben's butt dial to Ron. Uh, I'm sure they had fun recording that. Leslie likes to do kiss impersonations of politicians, including First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, who likes a lot of tongue, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Just a, a tour de force for Nick Offerman, who just had to sit there and watch and enjoy this and react and got a lot of laughs. Um, but yeah, this very in character. Also, uh, classic Mike Shore, uh, very rated G uh, romance. Yes, <laughs> very, yes. Not not into getting. Uh, he's not about to write a sequel to Basic Instinct. Um, he's a, <laughs> a man who enjoys just just talking about kissing. That's it. That's it. That's right. All right. The rest of the synopsis. Let's go. As the city prepares for the memorial service, Leslie and Ben are caught making out by a maintenance worker named George Biff Yeager. So they send him home with a gift certificate in exchange for his silence. What Leslie and Ben didn't realize was that George had the propane for Lil Sebastian's eternal flame, which results in later confusion behind the scenes, which they struggle to fix throughout the night. Jerry is sent to get propane for the flame, but buys lighter fluid instead. This causes a huge fireball to shoot in the air when Ron lights it, which singes off most of his facial hair. Leslie and Ben are relieved, however, when the crowd applauds in the belief that the fireball was staged. Entertainment 720 show also proves to be a hit with the crowd, which makes Tom further contemplate quitting his job. That is a great plot. That is a great, tight comedy plot. I mean, that is just a, a clinic. It's yeah, and I think I, I I correct me if I'm wrong, Greg. This episode was not easy to break. Finales are difficult oftentimes, but that is like you're you're saying it's a it's a bit Byzantine, but it kind of works, right? It's like it's a sequence of events that is caused by the character's flaw, which is that they're cheating or not cheating, but you know doing something they shouldn't having an affair with a coworker, and it causes a huge comedy set piece, right? And so it's it's kind of like A to B to C. Causality was something that was really important. That's something that Trey Parker, Matt Stone, when I worked on South Park briefly, were like, because, 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 because. Yeah. And so that same thing, Greg Downs, Mike sure same thing. If you're ever, it's a writing tip. If you're ever thinking about writing, don't never do and, and then, and then, and then. No, because Leslie and Ben were, you know, making out, they get caught by the maintenance worker because he catches them. They put him off his task because he doesn't do that. Jerry takes over because Jerry puts lighter fluid in the thing. The fireball happens. So it, it's it's just that's right. That's that's why it works. Right. There's there's a clear delineation delineation of events. And uh, it's funny. Before you guys go on, Alan, you alluded to the fact that this was a hard episode to break. In fact, it was. And I spent uh, last night preparing for this by reading the table draft. Because I remember this was a little difficult, and I didn't put oh, in the wow. notes. There are two significant changes, but I want to let you guys in on them when we get to the end of the plot. Once we talk through it, you tell me what you think about them. I'm on the edge of my seat. I want to know. I, I was there, and I don't remember, so I, I definitely want to know. The table draft, so for those who are uninitiated, we'll do a table read, and that's generally the week before we shoot, and hopefully it goes well. And if it doesn't go perfectly... We might go in there and tinker, or there might be a dramatic overhaul. We have sometimes rewritten episodes entirely between Wednesday and the following Monday. I remember some weekends uh, rewriting entire episodes <laughs> on Saturday and Sunday. Like, hey, can you take half the draft? And, you know, Aisha will take half or whatever. And and and, and, and you got to do that. But uh, so I'm curious about that. Uh, let's talk about Tom for a second. Uh, a lot of evolution. You know, I feel like season one, uh, there's kind of a gym from the office aspect. I think we talked about that when we were uh, going through those episodes. We're just kind of looking at camera, reacting, 
as the character became more like Aziz, I think, um, and we tapped into more of what he does, we realized he's kind of like a hustler, right? He's he's into business. He's into entrepreneurship. So I remember distinctly at the beginning of every season when we would do the writer's retreat, we would talk about what the character might, you know, what their arc might be for the season. And one of the arcs was he goes off and does other businesses. So I, I think Entertainment 720 was pitched and then... Um, and then in between seasons, after the season, during that writer's retreat, I, I definitely remember um, deciding where that would go. But it's such a silly idea. You know, I think that one of the reasons it works is because it's very comedy forward. And I'll never forget that giant white room. We'll get to that. But at the, at the, end, of the, uh, the end of the episode in the tag, there's a giant, essentially, warehouse where Entertainment 720 is. Yeah. I don't think anyone here was on set for this fireball. But, man, I almost can't believe that's got to be a stunt person, number one. Just to let you in, when we, whenever there's a stunt like that, there are endless meetings, right? It's like you're lighting. I almost can't believe they let us do it because uh, I still uh, I, I work for I guess Universal Studios. That's that's my home studio, and boy, they are very risk averse. We had a scene where a character jumps into a pool, and they're like, "He can't jump into a pool." I'm like, "People <laughs> jump into pools." <laughs> and then I was talking to Matt Hubbard. He's like, "Yeah, I did a pilot, and uh, the actors were not allowed to run." it's like they can't i was like they might fall i was like jesus like where have we got in terms of liability but uh yeah shout out to jerry decania who runs physical production at universal he's like i don't think they should run it's like oh man (laughs) but uh uh the uh no so this scene there's a giant fireball i guess that's a stunt person who who faces the fight if you'll notice they're facing away from camera that's not nick offerman i would assume um and there there is a giant fireball i don't think that was even enhanced at post i could be wrong maybe we'll, we'll get an update on that but uh very uh, we, we try to do these things safely. So. I mean, listen, people, you know, they tune in to Parks and Rec for the, for the pyrotechnics. The stunt work is... The spectacle. The spectacle, spectacle. yes. It's, it's basically a Marvel movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. Before, we, before we knew those existed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's, you're here for the visuals. <laughs> you're really here for the, the, the outstanding, the camera moves, the, yeah. Uh, yeah, the dolly moves, the cranes, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I remember distinctly pitching on this too, the shades of black for the memorial ribbon. It's, it's Jean-Ralphio and, and, and Tom. And, and the colors of black include Obsidian, Onyx, Midnight, Lost Soul, Rolling Blackout, Sleeping Panther, and Void by Armani. So I remember this was like, this was in there. In, yeah, Void by, I, I think we probably have a list of a hundred of these. But yeah, I remember distinctly. That's a very fun thing for a writer's room. It's just, okay, different ways to say the word black. And then you just pitch uh, a million of them and, and uh, they get in the episode. And it's fun. You see who, you see who wins. It's kind of like a, it's a competition to see who gets their joke in. Um, oh, this is interesting. So there's uh, two of Lil Sebastian's horse friends are Ladybug and Coconut. Then Coconut takes a dump on stage. This moment was unscripted, but it was funny, so they decided to keep it in instead of editing it out. When Tom comments on it in the walkie-talkie, that was based on our actual production team commenting on it on their walkie-talkies. So they, like, basically the horse is... Uh, You'll be surprised to know the horse taking a dump was unscripted. So, that, yeah. so I think uh, I think people were just reacting to it. And it is there's something funny about being very official, you know, over the walkie-talkie. Well, like, there was also a oh. moment, I remember when we were shooting this scene, where there was this, I don't think it lived in the cut, where there was this elaborate, very solemn, I think Amy brings the horses out on stage. And it took forever for them to... <laughs> sort of circle around and it was that it was the comedy of something taking so long that it goes from like awkward 
yeah. to painful to when will this end to, you know, this is kind of funny to this is hilarious, but you have to commit yes. to the time. And I don't I don't think it actually was in the cut, but boy, it made me laugh shooting it. Yeah, it's almost like the Simpsons rake joke, right? Sideshow Bob stepping on a thousand rakes, but in a 21-minute episode, (laughs) which is packed with, you know, a a, a miniature horse funeral and 500 character story moves at the end, uh, including Leslie getting tapped by people to to run for office. Like, it just probably wasn't enough time for horses slowly (laughs) circling. (laughs) Although I'd love to see the outtakes. I'd love to see horses just gently moving around. It was really Uh, funny. Always a fan. Always a fan. Uh, we get a little Jean Ralphio Donna interaction, which I always love. Jean Ralphio saying, I hope you brought a change of clothes because your eyes are about to piss tears. And then Donna saying, You're nasty. Like that, that is classic, more more classic uh, Jean Ralphio. Always a joke machine. Um, well, I was and, like, and, The best Jean Ralphio one is, is in this one where he says, he, has, he tells Tommy he needs to live his life like that cow from the video. Yes. And then I was like, That's already a joke. But then Tom corrects him that little Sebastian was a horse, and John Ralphie says, "Yeah, because he followed his dreams." It's amazing. So it's no, amazing. Just this funny stuff. This is funny stuff. I so we have to comment on Nick Offerman's look after he gets his eyebrows burned off, and it's like this guy gets his eyebrows burned off, and his his hair looks crazy. I don't know how they did that. It was that a wig? I, I like it looks crazy. It's very curly. It's a, you know, it's, 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 it looks matted. It looks like animal fur almost. And, uh, uh, his mustache looks insane. I know what happened. They shaved it off and put some prosthetic mustache stuff on. But, um, I was surprised. Also, like he suffered no burns. Did anyone think to like, <laughs> like, 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 maybe that's just the Ron Swanson legend, right? That yeah. he's such a superhero. Maybe he's impervious. To, maybe he's like Colossus from the X-Men. Um, just impervious to, to burns or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, it's one of the weirdest. He almost looks. Yeah, I'm trying to think who he looks like. He looks like a cartoon. He's character, a cartoon kinda. character for sure. Yeah, it's, it's he like looks like a, a, a. It's like it's Wiley Coyote. Yeah, it's with, that cross with like a Family Guy character or something. Yeah, <laughs> There's yeah. something about his face or the shape of his face. Like afterwards, it's so strange. Other songs played during Lil Sebastian's memorial, besides Five Thousand Candles in the Wind," include "Wild Horses" by the Rolling Stones and "A Horse with No Name" by America. Um, this got to be the time the the the. the the Parks and Rec Music Clearance Department answers their phone having been asleep all season because we never do music. <laughs> so they must have been like, well, Rolling Stone song? Yeah. It's like, oh, we can clear that. We have we all our music budget is, is used on this song because we there's no music in the show. I would have pitched so, uh, I, I think it was a huge missed opportunity with one of my favorite yacht rock songs, Wildfire. It's actually about a horse that, there di- you go. that dies Wildfire. In, a, in a in a snowstorm. And wow. it's super sad. Yeah. Go back in time and shoot it again. Yeah, <laughs> shoot it again. What are other What are other horse songs? I'm trying to think. Well, better yet, horse death songs. Mm, yeah, so true. Oh, Old Town Road, Lil Nas X, travel back in time. Put that in, <laughs> right, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll think about that. Send them in if you got them. All right, let's continue with the synopsis. At a party afterwards. Andy receives praise for his Lil Sebastian tribute song, 5,000 Candles in the Wind. April sells many mouse rat CDs at an inflated price, which spurs Andy to ask her to become the group's manager. Indirectly responsible for nearly killing Ron, Leslie and Ben agree to no more secret displays of affection at work. Anne, who previously dated Chris and had trouble getting over him, offers comfort to Chris for his depression. This makes him feel 
romantically interested in Anne once again. A conflicted Tom decides to resign and accept a job with Entertainment 720. Meanwhile, Ron is confronted by his evil ex-wife Tammy at the party, but both Ron and Tammy are horrified to learn his other ex-wife, also named Tammy, who he calls Tammy One, also has arrived in town. That's a lot. Oof. A lot of I, I just you love the big like courtyard party scene. Everyone get your stories done. It's like that's how I mean. it's like, yeah. that's a finale though. I mean, that's a finale. Like I, I'm having just shot a finale of of the new show uh, season finale. It's very similar where it's like uh, you get they're all in the same place and they're all talking to each other. That's that's a TV show. That's a TV. It's show. a lot. It's a lot of uh, stuff to wrap up. It's the end of the year. Yes. You got to wrap it up. Yes. Um, you know, just to let people in on this, it's it's kind of, I, I think Mike subscribes to this theory, and I subscribe to it too a bit, which is, you know, something from Greg Daniels as well, which is just get as many balls up in the air as you can at the end of a finale. Make it as juicy as possible, as many cliffhangers, cliffhangers for everybody. Why not? And then hope and pray that over the summer you can figure out what happens next. You don't need to necessarily know because you'll figure it out. you got a team of smart writers. Hopefully you've thought about the characters enough. So that was kind of the theory here. So, for instance, when Donna runs in to alert Ron and Tammy 2 that Tammy 1 has showed up, we didn't know who Tammy One was. We didn't have an actor yet. We didn't know what the character was. But it's like, we'll figure it out. That's a funny beat. It's a funny escalation. It's a funny turn. Let's figure out who Tammy One is, right? We do that over the summer. Um, you know, it, it's and same thing kind of with the Leslie stuff, which we'll talk about in a second, and the Tom stuff. It's like, okay, we know we have Entertainment 720, but we don't know exactly what happens. We'll figure it out. So that's kind of what happens in between seasons. Um, just a peek behind the curtain. Uh Celebrity celebrity death songs. Quick quick detour into mm. celebrity death songs. Yes. I think the biggest one cited in this show, Elton John, Candle in the Wind, right? Um, it says Marilyn Monroe and Princess Di. I didn't realize Marilyn Monroe was part of that. I guess. Uh, I guess. Oh it's well, like a, no, that's a remake. That's the original. No, no, the best is. Yeah, it was the original is Marilyn Monroe, right? Yes. And then I always thought it was so weird. I mean, and I love Elton. I love him mm-hmm. as a. I know as a friend and his music, he's the man, but I always thought it was so taking the lyrics of that hit and changing them to princess Diana. That almost, is weird. Isn't almost it? sounds like a, a, a bit. It almost sounds yeah, like something like, like a I, comedy I, bit. I, yeah, it's like, well, you lived your me? life <laughs> as if you couldn't go to the Duran Duran concert. You wanted to <laughs> because the crown wouldn't approve it. And you're like, what? It was, Really bizarre, I have it's, to say. It's almost like, was he just like, eh, I don't want to write a new one. <laughs> There's also that. It's, it's like, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, uh, should I call Bernie up? Nah, you know what? Let me just, let's just, let's just do it. But you know what? Great song. I think more, more people know the Princess Die version, right? So, yeah, I certainly more. I, 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 I'm a big, uh, like, like fan of, of songs that have weird, eerie deaths, like, the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Does anybody know that song? Oh, wow. Wow. That's a great, it's an entire ship that goes down. Everybody dies on The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And <laughs> everybody goes you know, It's a number one hit. And one of, my, one of my favorites that I actually did as a spoken word performance at the Just for Laughs Festival in oh my God. Montreal. Yes, I uh, I did a- What a, year was this? A spoken word of uh, uh, 90, it was right after- Austin Powers. So what? It was, and I did it as Robert Wagner. Okay, so I that's see. pretty obscure. I, I get that. it's, there, there you go. There's the comp, and there's there's the impersonation aspect. 
Uh, just for last is fun. I've done just for last as well. It's fun. Uh, I feel like I, I did a panel there and enjoyed Montreal. I remember we were shooting in Rome or in Italy, and then we flew from Rome to Montreal. And did the panel? It's very fun. It's but, a good city. Uh, yeah, it's, Shout it's out to time. Montreal, everybody. Shout out to JFL yeah. just for last. Yeah. Do it again sometime. Maybe we'll do this podcast there. Or as they like to say it a bit, juste pour le rire. Juste pour le rire. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and just a couple more celebrity death. ACDC back in black. That's about celebrity death. Bon Scott, it says. Here. I never knew that. So, uh, I didn't know that. Neutral Milk Hotel in the Airplane Over the Sea, mentioned in a previous episode. It's about Anne Frank's death. In the long winters, the commander thinks aloud. Space Shuttle Columbia. I'm getting in the Zoom here. Bon Scott was the original singer of ACDC. That's wild. I actually didn't know that. You, you know, you come for the Parks and Rec trivia, you stay for the ACDC trivia. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All the overlap. The overlap Venn diagram yep. of uh, early hard rock heavy metal fans and, uh, and, and Parks and Rec fans. All right, let's keep marching forward here. Synopsis. Leslie's approached by scouts looking for potential candidates. Wait, there's more story? There's more story. It's 26 minutes long. It's almost over. It's almost over. How can there be more story? We've done nothing but talk about things that happen. It goes on and on. Quickly. It moves quickly. Oh my God. It's a finale. It is. It's a finale. You got to pack it all in. Yeah, you do. It's not a penultimate episode. It's a finale. Leslie's approached by scouts looking for potential candidates for elected office, which has always been one of her dreams. Impressed by the memorial service and the harvest festival Leslie previously organized, they believe she would be a good candidate for upcoming city council seats or possibly even the mayoral position. With the expected increased media attention on her personal life, the scouts ask whether Leslie has any secret scandals in her life. She denies any such scandals exist, thus admitting her secret relationship with Ben. And the scouts promise to contact her about preparing an electoral run. And by the way, there's an additional tag that's not even in the synopsis where they we go to Entertainment 720. We'll talk about it in a bit. But Amy's performance when uh, she tells them there's no scandals. Very magnetic. You know, you can read it on her face, and then we rack to Ben. She plays a lot of emotions. We had a lot of bits in the writer's room about William and Elizabeth, who are the two people who come. Like, it's a little bit like they step out of another show because they're very serious. It's almost like a weird drama scene at the, near the end of the episode. But these actors, I mean, God bless them. They're, 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 they're doing it, right? They're doing what we told them to do. Their jo- names are Johnny Sneed and uh, Antonio Raftu. But uh, <laughs> they're very serious. Yeah, I went, and it's like, I, it was like, did they, was, were they supposed to be on the Grey's Anatomy set? And they, and I mean, like, you know what show they could have been from? I do. Ray Donovan. Ray, Ray Donovan. <laughs> they could have been. But they are very serious. They're like, and it's also like, I like the idea that Pawnee is this small, sleepy, theoretically backwater town, but there's a whole political consultancy firm who's swooping in to see who decides who's going to run for city council. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, damn! What are they? Who's paying these people? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? what is, where's the money in there? William and Elizabeth, like, are they like living in like a two bedroom, or like, like, are they living in a studio apartment? How are they paying their bills? Where's the money in this? Anyway, it is a funny joke later on, where, where I think it's a future episode where he's like, "Are you guys together?" Like, it's, anyway, that's <laughs> that is one of my favorite jokes about those two characters. But uh, you know, we didn't know, and and just speaking back to. Uh, whether we, you know, the cliffhanger idea, kind of like throw all the balls in the air, story balls in the air and, and just figure them out later. We didn't really know whether she, what she was going to run for. So like we kind of threw city council and mayor up there and we knew it would be a campaign for some kind of public office because that seemed like a reasonable next step. But we left a lot of it 
uh, unspecified. And I think that's another little trick I think that people probably pick up on. But yeah, that's it's it, it focused on how it complicated Leslie and Ben's romance because that's what we knew would happen. But uh, yeah, I, this this season also was 16 episodes. And the reason was, I see here in the notes, people are asking, why was this season 16 episodes? Was it the writer's strike? Uh, I, the answer was, we were pushed to mid-season. <laughs> so we did not premiere until mid-season. So instead of a 22-episode order, uh, we only needed to do 16. I mean, this so. show was all over the schedule. It was really moved around. There was a show called Outsource that got picked up ahead of us, I think, and that aired that season at the beginning. They were really excited about that show. And then uh, we got pushed to mid-season. And then from then on, I think after the first three years were really sort of a, a, a bumpy ride, I would say. I just like, I mean, that's like, you know, network executives and the suits take a lot of shit all the time from creative people. And some of the time it's unearned and some of the times it's earned. But I just want to take a moment for all of us to consider a world where they're like, hey, Parks and Recreation, why don't you guys take a seat? Because we've got outsourced, okay, coming on. So you guys, why don't you just cool your jets for a while? Felt like that happened almost every year. It was that it was outsourced and it was Whitney, I think, the Whitney Cummings show. Yeah, there's a few other ones. I forget what else, but and every year it was like, hey, Parks and Rec, we love what you guys do, sorta. So <laughs> why don't you guys just chill because we really think we got lightning in a bottle with Whitney. <laughs> I mean, no one has no one's uh, foresight is twenty twenty, but it certainly seems in retrospect that they weren't exactly sure what they had in the show. And, and uh, I always heard that the I, I don't want to name names, but it was somebody running the network. L- literally, was like, I don't think that show's funny. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't get it. Does it make me laugh? I don't get it. And that so, checks out. <laughs> and then, but, but when, when that's what you're dealing with, that's how you end up with, you know, short orders, 16, then it's eight, then it's six. And maybe you're not, maybe you're in the fall, maybe you're not. It's like, would, yep. they just ran this show around like, like, yes, it got no respect. And it survived. It survived yep. like a cockroach just yeah. survived. Yep. Uh, let's not forget the tag of this episode, which is batshit insane. Uh, Mike Schur, here's a quote from him. He called the episode's final scene, which was filmed in a completely white 15,000-square-foot office of Tom's Entertainment Company. Maybe the craziest thing that's ever been on a series. I personally remember going to this set um, and playing basketball with Detlef Schrempf. I have photos where I'm, for some reason, wearing a gray peacoat and and, and posting Detlef Schrempf up. I guess it must have been cold in that warehouse. (laughs) But I remember playing with him. I remember playing with uh, Lorenzo, one of our PAs, and and, and Aziz and and Ben Schwartz. Wait, wait, can I just Um, say... Between you and Lorenzo, they you, yes. they, you might, you got, you, you're not tall men. No, I'm about 5'10", and uh, Detlef Schrempf is about 6'10". Uh, Lorenzo is not a tall man either. Lorenzo was probably, I would say, under 5'5". He's under 5'6", yeah. let's say. So he's, but Lorenzo was beloved. By the way, shout out Lorenzo. We love Lorenzo. Um, yeah, everyone loved him, and, and he was rapidly promoted, and, and he was kind of a one of the liaisons between uh, the, the brains and, and, and all the cast. And so like kind of like the... the uh, Yep. He would interface between the director and, and the writers and, and the cast and, you know, always there for everybody. Very reliable, um, great energy. So shout out to Lorenzo if you're listening um, or if anyone knows Lorenzo, say hi. Uh, just really quick, uh, final thoughts on this episode. Just want to run through gifts, parties and jobs. 
there's a couple parties or there's a couple jobs and, and there's definitely a party celebrating little Sebastian, huge party in the courtyard where everyone, all the stories get wrapped up. There's a new job for April, mouse right manager, and there's a new job for Tom, <laughs> entertainment 720, and there's a new job for Leslie running for public office. <laughs> so there's, wow. there's a fair amount. There's a fair amount there. Um, this is a packed season. I, I got to pop in and tell you some big changes that happened from an earlier. Oh, yeah. Show. Please, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Two yeah. significant changes, and they changed in one week from the table draft to the shooting draft. So one of the big ones, I want to get your take on it, is that Ron finds out and, and tells Leslie and Ben that he knows that they've been sleeping together at the very end of the episode. And what happens earlier is that the same uh, custodian who came in with Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman catches them making out and that starts the feeling of maybe we're not being careful enough um and so ron reveals in act three he knows that they've been sleeping together and they decide to tell chris tomorrow that they have this thing and we're just going to tell him and just see what happens and let him uh, uh, tell us you know what our fate is and they decide to make out one last time and they stumble into chris's office and Chris is making out with Tammy. Do you remember this? Wow. What? Wait, what? what? Do you <laughs> Wait, remember what? this? This is a bombshell. This yes. is this is producer Greg coming in with gold. With just haymakers. Yes. What? Yes. It that's kind of, insane. It flummoxed me in the same way it did you. Was this set up? Like, did we have yes. him like our because he was he was like he was thinking about his mortality yes. and like he just wanted it, like a fling or something, right? Yes, and that conversation with Anne about seizing life, um, <laughs> and then Tammy <laughs> comes life. in. Well, Tammy comes in, you know, super, uh, you know, uh, hot as she does, and um, he stumble. They stumble in, and they see that he's making out with some woman we don't know who it is, and then. Chris and Leslie say, hey, hey. And then uh, uh, we see it's a pixelated Tammy wearing no top. Right. Oh, wow. Of course. Because, well, ta- if you have Tammy. Sounds yeah. like a Dan Gore pitch, but yeah. <laughs> Loves pixelation. Um, but that not that a little bit stakes negating? Because the stakes are that Chris will catch him. But then if they catch Chris doing that, like, isn't that a little bit stake? Anyway, now I'm talking like a, a studio exec or another writer in the room being like, well, this is why we shouldn't do that. But we ended up not doing it. I can't believe we read that at the table. I have no recollection of that. Me neither. Yeah, it, yeah. It, in a show called Parks and Recollection, I have zero recollection of that. And we were there. Presumably, you were reading it, and I was there listening, and I helped write it. So that's very crazy. But I'm glad we didn't do that. It seems wrong. And Tammy, obviously Tammy 1, Megan Mullally. Yes, Tammy 2. Yes, yes. Technically Tammy 2, but yes. The original Tammy is Tammy, Tammy yes. And we have a Tammy Zero, as we'll learn about soon enough. Yes, there well. was also Tammy Zero. That's that's when you know this, the show's going on a long time, <laughs> when you get a Tammy Zero. My pitch is that the reason it, what didn't happen is that Nick Offerman, after the table read, went to Mike Schur and said, listen, Megan Mullally is my wife. She has already made out with Rob Lowe in about last night. And I cannot have it again that's what i think happened again again that's crazy i was gonna say like that would have been interesting like you did it already i did it years ago i did it years ago hollywood is a small town sometimes it's a small town it is keep that in mind okay one more this is good it's gonna be hard to top that i know it is hard to top it but i had to do it in in order of uh, of sequence the idea that leslie's approach to run for public office 
did not exist until the very end of the shooting draft being made. It wasn't in the table draft. It really wasn't in a lot of our notes. It was a whole scene or two written at the very end. And as I was reading the script, I think I realized what we all realized, which is that Leslie is actually quite light in the end of this episode. She pretty much has this one moment with, um, with Ron and Ben and then going in and seeing Chris making out with someone else. And so like you were saying, Alan, I think what we talked about in the room was let's just set up a whole bunch of stuff. And I think the other thing, if memory serves me right, is that we always wanted to do a storyline about her running for office, but um, I think we're nervous about doing it so soon into a show that was about politics, not wanting to make it a campaign show. The West Wing had just, I think, at the same time done like a season and a half of a political campaign. And then I think the realization was, we're going to do it. Let's do it. And let's just commit to it right now. Uh, That I remember. I remember just the long discussion of should we do the campaign season four or not? And by the way, speaking of all the executives and what they're, I think in the back of Mike's mind was probably, well, how many seasons is this show going to go? If we're going to do it, just do it, right? Let's do it. We don't, why are we saving bullets, right? That's kind of the thing that we talked about in the room. So um, we knew we were going to do it eventually. So it it, it made sense. And, but I do think that the, the counter argument to that was this show was pitched and presented and conceived as a show about public service of non non-elected officials basically bureaucrats uh, and then we're like okay well are we going to immediately go into that and you know it ended up being fine you know what people don't watch it for the job people watch it for the characters so i mean that's ultimately what happened and it's like it's a new situation it's them. a big greg berlanti who's a very uh proficient prolific great showrunner movie producer you name it when uh, on brothers and sisters he would always say if you have a good story idea tell it tell it now don't yeah, wait don't wait yeah. for the next don't episode wait. You don't, don't wait for next you, season tell it now yeah Tell you have it like you got the juice, like use it, man. You got. By the way, it's, uh, Easter egg. Fun fact: uh, I live in Greg Berlanti's old house. Oh, <laughs> there you great. go. Yeah, it's, it's like kind of, kind of funny. I was like, oh man, that's kind of funny. But uh, um, yeah, he's absolutely very prolific. Uh, all right, Greg. Great uh, trivia. Great, cha- great uh, information about the table read changes. I didn't remember that stuff. Always, always adding value. Always adding value. Um, let's go through the oops moments quickly. At 1906, Ron claims he's cried only twice in his life. Once when I was seven and hit by a school bus. And then again when I heard that little Sebastian had passed. Aww. However, he fails to mention the time he cried in his office with Leslie. In this office with Leslie after Tammy took control of his life in season two is Ron and Tammy. I didn't remember that. That's kind of interesting. I believe this used the joke used to be I was seven and hit by a jeep or something. Anyway, I don't know why we changed it to school bus, but they're both they're both funny. Um, Donna mispronounces words from Jerry's Italian poem, but later we'll reveal Donna is an opera singer. So wouldn't she know how to pronounce these beautiful foreign words? In fact, Donna will later sing the flower duet from the opera Lachme later in the series. That's kind of interesting. Amazing. Kind of interesting. Uh, episode MVP, most valuable Pawnee, and which character moment in this episode sticks out to you the most and why? Little Rolo, Sebastian. Come on. Wow, I'm it out for little Sebastian. That is great. I would say... First star, Lil Sebastian. Second star, uh, Mouse Rat for the song, yes. which is uh, eternal. And then third star, the Fireball. So yes, <laughs> that's, agreed. That's it. Uh, call the action, listeners. Let us know who your MVP is by tweeting at Team Coco Podcast or by using the hashtag Parks and Recollection. Shall we do the town hall? Town Hall, I think you do. 
Yes, the final town hall of our season one. I'm final town. Very hall. exciting. We'll, we'll do it on the stage of the Little Sebastian Memorial, yes. where the legendary Five Thousand Candles, the wind was just performed. Uh, take it away, producer Rob Schulte. Hey, Rob, Alan, Greg Schulte. Uh, this is Corey. I'm from New York City. I love Parks and Rec. I have rewatched it over and over again throughout the years. I, I don't think any television comedy has ever done such a great job of building a world with all these different characters, you know, so far in the background, but so funny and so memorable. And I mean, I guess there are a few that come close, maybe Freaks and Geeks, maybe Community. But I was wondering if you guys had any ideas of uh, another show that really created this immersive world. Thanks for what you're doing. I love it. Well, that's a great, thank you. Um, I mean, what do you, the Simpsons? The Simpsons is probably number one. And, and there's a couple things about the Simpsons. That's the biggest world ever created, partly because there are what, 30 seasons or yeah, something. Right. I mean, 700 episodes or whatever it is. Uh, shout out to the people over there. Matt Selman, uh, one of my friends helps run that, sh- run that show and a bunch of the writers are, are buddies. Um, but, uh, I mean, they've done incredible work for so long. And in a way, we, we would talk about Springfield a lot in the writers room of parks as we continue to build our world out. I was actually going to mention community too, because, uh, their, their run obviously was as long as the simpsons but uh and and they shot uh right next to us which is kind of cool they were our nbc neighbors um it keeps i keep thinking of animated shows because futurama also was almost like obviously a future version of the simpsons or rick and morty uh is really a world building thing live action i will say this that's credit thank you for Corey for pointing that out because parks did a really specific job of doing that like not many shows build out the town like that i was thinking like Seinfeld does a little bit of it, you know, it, they ran a long time and you start to get to know the diner and the, you know, the, the, you know, Babu and all those other characters, the dentist, but they don't come back in the same way that they do in, in Parks and Rec, you know, it's like you see, you see Perd Happily like 50 times, you know, you just see him a lot of times and there's not a lot of, not a lot of sitcoms that do that. So a lot of them are the animated ones I found. Um, I don't know. I'm, Family Guy is another one, right? In South Park, they're, they all kind of build worlds but a lot of those are animated you know 30 rock maybe 30 rocks good yeah 30 rocks good again it feels like you know what's interesting is 30 rocks about new york city in some ways so it's like they have a zany world but it's not it's not a fake made up world i mean it is dr spachemin i mean yeah that that's a good one i i feel like I, I, and people do come back, right? It's like, but it's not like parks, it isn't. It's not like parks. Yeah, it's it's just a different thing. Where I think because it's here's the here's the oh here's actually an idea that actually answers the question. It's interesting because it's a fictional town, right? Like like Thirty Rock is New York, and it's a zany version of New York. But 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 part but Parks and Rec, it's like Pawnee's made up. So you know we could take a lot of liberty in in sort of building all these side characters, but. uh no, it's a good point. I think that's one of the strengths of the show, for sure. And it's something that, that, you know, I don't think was intended necessarily from the beginning. It was something that built and built and built organically. And sometimes that's the best way to write a show. I think dramas have a greater success at doing it more, also just because of the the breadth of storytelling, that it's sometimes less localized on just your comedy characters and how they interact and the comedic, you know, situations you can put them in. And I immediately thought of The Wire, which was the inspiration also oh, wow. for uh, one of the inspirations for the show, but one of the joys of watching any of these shows like Community or Parks or The Wire or whatever is watching the show and seeing these people, even if they pop up in the background and you, it connects two pieces and you just feel like you're being taken care of by the people who make it, that they're like, we have an idea, we have a world and we're bringing you into it. 
that's great. And and the wire is a great call because uh, we did talk about that show incessantly in the writer's room. You know, Mike was obsessed with it and a lot of the writers were obsessed with it. We, you know, we actually had a chart of, uh, this is some of the time killing the writer's room. This, maybe this is why we ended up staying so late and the guy walked in playing Shania Twain. Uh, we had a chart of all of these other shows and who the writers were of the characters on that show. So for the wires, like this guy's Presbo, this guy's, you know, Stringer Bell, this guy's wow, <laughs> whoever. Like, like it was really, and then we did that for Game of Thrones. We did that for Breaking Bad. We did that for Mad Men. Jesus. I, think I was, uh, I was Sterling. Yeah, we sexes. I was Sterling. I think I was, I was. Uh, but did you do uh, it for Slattery's Ray, character? Ray Donovan? We did not do it for Ray Donovan. Maybe, you know what? When we do the reboot of Parks and Rec, we'll have to do it for Ray. Who gets to be Ray? Oh, that's a real... <laughs> I don't know any other characters on the show, but yeah. Guys, I have uh, the chart. I have the chart. It's called Who oh, Are man. You? It took seven seasons to make, and I'll, I'll let you know <laughs> that every person has a Wire person, a Game of Thrones a character, a Breaking Bad character, uh, and then in the biopic, who would star as them ah, and yes. so we'll the tease that that exists and we'll uh we'll, we'll we'll tell people about it coming up cliffhanger for next season uh yeah i mean what a great season guys thank you so much everybody uh, we'll be back soon with the next season i'm taking that as a legally binding pickup from team coco and stitcher <laughs> uh thank you everyone for listening thank you all the people who wrote in and and sent in town halls and town howls uh keep them coming and, and hopefully we'll get to do some more episodes and more seasons subscribe where you get your podcast five star review on apple thank you to schulte and greg of course everyone involved in the show and goodbye from pony for now we'll see you next season cliffhanger Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 